Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Becoming Italian podcast. My name is Caleb and along with my co-host Ben, we'll attempt to demystify the process of applying for recognition of your Italian citizenship, Jure Sanguinis. In this episode, we cover how to determine if you are eligible for recognition of Italian citizenship, Jure Sanguinis, and also cover some common exceptions to the rule or reasons why you might be disqualified. We also jump into a recent reinterpretation of an old 1912 law by certain consulates and talk about the ramifications for some application types if you happen to have uh, ancestry born in a country like the United States that recognizes birthright citizenship prior to 1912. In addition, we talk about some of our personal reasons for applying for recognition of our Italian citizenship, the benefits of doing that, and even a few tips on how to avoid common scams and pitfalls along the way. Our usual disclaimer applies. Neither Ben nor I are lawyers or experts. We're experienced amateurs trying to give some advice and guidance, but uh, certainly do not take what we say as legal advice. Consult your own counsel before taking any actions based on the things we discussed today. With that said, let's jump right in. All right, so let's chat a bit about determining eligibility uh, and how you can tell whether you are eligible for citizenship recognition or more accurately tell whether you are an Italian citizen already and uh, could apply for recognition of that citizenship. Um, probably the first thing to note is the you know renouncement of citizenship rule, uh, where essentially if an ancestor of yours became a naturalized citizen of another country like the U.S. Uh, prior to a subsequent ancestor's birth, then that actually uh, cancels the Italian citizenship. Um, so an example of this would be like my great-grandfather uh, came to the U.S. in the 1920s. Um, he uh, got married. My grandfather was born in the mid-1920s. And my great-grandfather subsequently became a U.S. citizen. Um, at the time that he became a U.S. citizen, you're required to renounce other citizenships. So he was no longer an Italian citizen. But because he was still an Italian citizen and not an American citizen yet, at the time that my grandfather was born, my grandfather was still an Italian dual citizen. Yep. Uh, and when did your family, what, uh, you said 1920s, when did they come over? Uh, around 19, I want to say 1910 for my great-grandfather. I should know that, but I've uh, forgotten the exact date, to be honest. Um, it's like 1910 and the 1920s for when my grandfather was born and my uh, great-grandfather became naturalized in like the late 1920s. Uh, how about you? Um, so my great-grandfather, same, same lineage. So for me, uh, great-grandparents were both born in Sicily, came over here. Um, 1920 for both of them, uh, one in February, one in September, uh, grandmother came first, great grandmother came first and great grandfather came a little bit after. Um, so with what you were talking about, the lineage, that, that's something important for people to understand. And that's something you can look up online fairly, you know, easily and determine if you're eligible for citizenship just on a high level. Um, if go on something like ancestry.com or I forget what the, the Mormon church one is called. Um, 
I think it's like family tree or family search, right? Yes. Talking about. I do know what you're talking about. And I also uh, forget the exact name, but we can throw that in the show notes. Um, yeah. They have, they have like microfilm of everything. Those, those guys yeah. Ancestry.com is typically pretty good as well. Uh, once in a while, other ones will have something they don't or vice versa. But Ancestry is a great place to start. Um, you can get on there, sort of look up uh, time, like arrival times for your ancestors, naturalization, birth records, death records. You know, there's there's a lot on there. Um, so you can you can get on there, look that up, and that'll give you at least a preliminary idea of if you are an Italian citizen and whether you should pursue the process more seriously. Um, and it may tell you that you're not an Italian citizen. Um, in some cases, like in your case, Ben, you, uh, sounds like you have two bloodlines essentially connecting you to Italy. Yeah. So, so my, well, so my, um, my grandfather, great grandfather, great grandmother, um, I could have used either of them, right. Even though that law in Italy is about women, uh, there's a rule in Italy, the law of this, that says women cannot not pass down citizenship prior to, I want to say 1945. I think it's 1948, but yeah, that's correct. 48, yeah, okay. Um, you know, but just go back to that point for a second. I was I was saying about you can determine your citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, so high level, if you look up online, you know, when your family came to the United States or Brazil or Argentina, where, wherever your, your family went, um, as long as they had children before they naturalized, generally you're Italian. That's the important there's, bit. There's some, yep. There's some distinctions in there. For example, I met a Brazilian woman who uh, went through the process in Rome, and she got through, through the whole thing. You know, unlike me, she she was very diligent. She she was prepared for everything. Um, her father did not was not listed on her birth certificate when she was born. Mm-hmm. And they sort of like invalidated her whole family tree or sort of told her that she couldn't be Italian because of that. So that's not exactly what the grandparents thing, but that just goes to show you how they can nitpick on documents if they so choose. Yep. It's just something to be aware yeah. of. I ran into that exact um, situation. Well, slightly different, but with a birth certificate actually of my own. Um, my first name on my birth certificate was actually different than the first name on my you know, passport, driver's license, et cetera. Uh, and that was just due to my parents changing their mind shortly after I was born. They went with a different name and got my social security card and everything else issued under under that name. Uh, but my birth certificate had a different first name on it. And in my case, I had to actually go do a formal name change. Uh, so that is worth noting. It's very important that all names on documents match. And in some cases, they don't even like things like Americanizations of Italian names like if your ancestors came over and used a different name when they sort of immigrated to your uh, current country, uh, that can be a problem as well. So that's just something to think about. Definitely check your documents, look at those names, make sure they're spelled the same. Uh, there are ways to handle things if, if names don't match sometimes, uh, but you'll just need to be aware that can be a potential issue. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, when I, when I submit my documents, uh, there were some minor misspellings of names. There was only one sort of egregious error, and that was my great-grandfather's name is uh, Inazio. And on his son's marriage certificate, they listed him as John. Um, now, it wasn't his marriage certificate, so it really didn't matter. 
but they like to see the names at least be, you know, sort of close. Uh, and every every consulate or every you know jurisdiction in Italy, whatever, however you're doing this process, is going to have their own sort of you know rubric for that. Everyone's a little bit different, unfortunately. Um, the letter of the law says everything has to match names, dates, etc. Like you know, my great grandfather, he had told everyone on all of his American documents he was born on the 27th uh, of September, 1900. Uh, but on his birth record from Sicily, he was born December 25th, September 25th. I'm sorry. Um, and that created sort of a problem. I had to get them to look up between those two dates to see if anyone with his name was born and provide me proof of that. And luckily, you know, nobody cared because I had that document, but that could have created an issue for me. That would have been like the one sort of, you know, obstacle outside of that, that, uh, that name being John as opposed to Ignazio. But for the most part, you know, it's it's really going back to the, the point I was making. It's it's really about how you sort of run down the lineage, um, you know, how you are connected to Italy through, you know, sort of your family. And as long as most of that lines up, you're generally going to be OK. Uh, but again, it, it really depends on where you're at. But they, they were lenient with me. I'd imagine they're going to be lenient on a lot of that as long as you're you know, sort of 99% within compliance. Yeah, I think that they'll look at things like, you know, making sure birth dates match up and other names match up. And there are other indications that things match, even if there's a misspelling or a wrong name or something like that. And it's really kind of up to the individual processing your application. So, you know, I think there's probably a scenario where you could get rejected, say, uh, at a consulate or something and be able to actually go to Italy instead and be accepted or maybe vice versa uh, because it is it is up to the individual accepting your application whether they want to accept it or not. Um, I want to circle back a little bit because we mentioned women could not pass their citizenship down prior to 1948. And I believe that's if they were born prior to 1948. However, uh, it's relatively easy, well, relatively being, you know, um, something of a loaded term here, but it is entirely possible to hire a lawyer in Italy and the Italian court will actually grant you an order of citizenship uh, even if your female ancestor was born prior to 1948. It just requires that extra step of getting a lawyer, going to court in Italy, but there are lawyers that specialize in it, so it's a relatively well-known standardized process. So if you only have a uh, female relative that is born prior to 1948. Don't give up hope. It's definitely very possible to get your citizenship. You're just going to have to go to Italy to do it and hire a lawyer to, to do essentially file some forms and get a court order for you. Yeah. Um, the, the sort of, you know, the, the short answer on all that is the Italian Supreme court overturned that for lack of a better term. They decided that women should be able to, or have always been able to pass down uh, citizenship by birthright. And the lower courts have not sort of, you know, passed it across the country. So you have to, as a, as you're saying, you have to go through the process of getting them to compel whatever agency to make you an Italian citizen. Um, it's not a, it's not a sort of, you know, yeah, we know we, we, we had this law and it's been changed. There, there's been no sort of movement to address it at the, uh, the Ufficio di Stato Civile. Uh, which is like the Office of Civil Services. You know, for Americans, one of the quick ways to determine 
uh, your if you are eligible for Italian citizenship. Uh, again, this is not checking the if your family is renounced or anything of that. This is just a way to determine at the top if you are eligible for citizenship or rather if you are an Italian citizen already, because that's the way the law is written. Um, if you contact NARA in Chicago, N-A-R-A, they're an agency that kept all of the naturalization documents uh, or applications, rather, uh, for immigrants that came through Ellis Island. I also believe they have some California stuff, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, I know my family came through New York, through Ellis Island, both of them. So for me, it, this sort of applies in anyone who came into the East Coast, uh, or at least believes you did. I believe the uh, Ellis Island route was most common for Italians. Uh, I know my great-grandfather came through there as well. There were some that came directly to California, I believe, but that should be fairly rare. So NARA is definitely a great place to start. If you don't find anything there, then you can start sort of broadening the search a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, in NARA, though, if you get what's called your naturalization uh, petition number, and you can get that from Ancestry.com pretty easily, it's going to look like sort of a sideways flashcard, and it'll have PET and then some numbers. If you call NARA with those numbers uh, and you give that to the researcher, uh, shout out to Jeremy, the researcher at NARA. Um, if you give him uh, or them that information, uh, they're going to be able to pull that microfilm pretty quickly. And then for, I believe, $50 uh, per uh, copy, they send you a certified form. And on that form, it will list uh, when they naturalized and then if they had kids and what their birth year was. So, again, just to go over that, my great-grandfather came in the 20s, had children, and then actually got married, had children, and then naturalized. And because he did it in that order, he passed down uh, citizenship from Italy to his children and subsequently to my father and now myself. And I think that was quite common, thankfully, for those of us looking to uh, reestablish our Italian citizenship. That was pretty common back then. It seems like many Italians came over, uh, got married, had kids, um, and then naturalized later on. So there was, there was no hurry to naturalize, it seems like. Um, and that definitely works in our favor. A lot of it, too, I believe, was just the length of time it takes to naturalize in America. Um, it took my great-grandfather... I want to say 16 years and it took my great grandmother from 1920 to 1942, I believe. So 22 years, you know, it, it's, it, it, it doesn't seem like this was a very quick process. So it's, it's very likely your family had children just based on that length of time. You know, it, it, it if you're talking for my great grandfather, 16 years, my great grandmother, you know, what is 22, you know, that, that's, that's such a, a large amount of time that it's very likely they had kids and got married or whatever the process was. And you're, you're most likely going to get citizenship if, if your family came in and sort of, you know, had kids um, within any, any sort of, you know, normal period of time. Um, with, uh, you know, that 1912 rule, I think it's uh, applicable. Maybe you can discuss because you said your great-grandfather um, came to the U.S. in the 1910. Yeah, so there's a, there's a new rule or a new interpretation of an old rule going around some consulates. So Buenos Aires, I believe, was the first to start doing this. And then uh, there's rumors that the Houston consulate may be doing this as well now, uh, where they're rejecting applications for uh, 
ancestors who were born in a country that gives you birthright citizenship. So like the U.S., where if you're born on U.S. soil, you're a citizen of the U.S. Prior to 1912, Italy did not recognize dual citizenship. So there's an argument to be made that people born in a country like the United States prior to 1912 uh, essentially de facto renounced their Italian citizenship at the time that they were born. Now, this is a very contentious interpretation. Uh, it doesn't apply in my case because my grandfather wasn't born, or my great-grandfather, rather, wasn't born in the U.S. He was born in Italy and came to the U.S. around that time. Uh, so this only applies to people born in the U.S. prior to 1912, uh, if I understand it correctly. And again, only being interpreted in a couple of consulates currently, but it's definitely something to be aware of uh, if you have that situation where you know, maybe uh, your ancestor came over in the early 1900s or late 1800s, and then you had, say, your uh, grandfather born just before 1912 in the U.S. This is something that uh, could be an issue depending on which way it goes in Italy. It's currently being argued in the courts, from what I understand. Uh, so definitely, definitely be aware of that. Hopefully it won't turn into anything serious. Um, your applications, though, for Houston and Buenos Aires right now, from what I hear, would be rejected if that is the case. Now, this is one of those things, right, where um, it's not, you know, clear cut why they're doing this. <clears throat> but it, it's 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 almost kind of like the uh, I, I discussed in the last episode, um, the lady at the Ufficio di Stato Civile, the Office of Civil Services, not wanting to help me uh, with my application. Uh, because I didn't speak her level of Italian. I wonder if that starts to become a thing at consulates now, too. I wonder if there's a little bit more free handing that, you know, if you don't have any sort of connection. I know I'd mentioned that before, but um, I really do wonder if that becomes a serious uh, thing. You know, like with this 1912 rule, there's nothing that says, you know, it has to be interpreted that way. It's just these consulates have decided to do it, as, as we've both seen. Um I wonder if language becomes something like that too uh, in the near future, because it's it does seem like the consulates and really just the process in general has has tightened up a little bit. You know, um, one of the things we had discussed before any of this is that they changed the law around uh, how long an application is in sort of you know uh, queue before you're just automatically Italian. And for those that don't know and you know, uh, haven't read this, the, the law used to be within six months in Italy or two years at a consulate. Uh, that was your total wait time to become an Italian citizen from application submit to done. So if, if they took longer than six months in Italy or two years in a consulate to make you Italian uh, and they hadn't provided you a rejection, you're just automatically Italian. You There's, there's some form and I forget the name, but uh, you provide that to them and it, it makes you, it sort of, you know, tells them, hey, you've maxed out on your time. Uh, I, I need my, you know, proof of Italian citizenship at this point. Uh, they've changed that law now and it's retroactive. So anybody currently in the process uh, is, is you know, stuck in the waiting game now because they've, they've moved it from two years to four. And they've also changed it to where now at the end of four years, they no longer have to make you Italian. They just have to tell you, you know, we have your application, essentially. There is no there is no uh, 
sort of binding clause in there now that says, hey, after four years or after a set period of time, you are Italian. It's it's an indefinite time. They just have to give you an answer now within four years, which is pretty much just their way of, of you know, slowing everybody down, it seems. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is going to become more common um, as they've seen this huge surge in applications, which we touched on in the last episode. I think they're just trying to buy sort of breathing room any way they can uh, because they just don't have the resources to process all of these right now, at least not, uh, you know, currently maybe they'll be able to sort of staff up a bit and, and uh, process them faster in the future. But right now it's definitely a huge burden on the administrative system that normally handles these applications. So I think any technicality where they can potentially delay or slow down the sort of flood of applications coming in, they'll probably use it. Um, and that's that's understandable in some ways. It's disappointing, but it's it's definitely understandable if they're unable to physically process enough applications to keep up. Then something has to give at some point. Uh, one would hope that they would be able to hire more staff or something, but that's not always the case. I, I really feel like they're trying to find some sort of litmus test for you know how connected or how interested you are in being connected to Italy. Um, something we've both discussed in the past is, is wanting to learn the Italian language and, and sort of, you know, living there for a year and enjoying the culture and, you know, really enjoying the country and just sort of seeing the sights and, and really sort of connecting with your roots. I wonder how going forward, uh, they're going to be, you know, how they're going to look at people is if you just want the passport and nothing else, or if you want to actually be Italian, uh, because the way the law is written now is just, if you have the lineage, if you have that right of blood, you are Italian. And I don't think they'll ever be able to change that, or at least not in the near future with how Italy's set up sort of, you know, structure-wise, governmentally. Uh, but I do think they'll get to a point where they're, they're looking into how Italian do you want to be or how Italian are you, and then sort of, you know, deciding if they're going to process your application or at least at what, you know, sort of what speed. Um you know, that that's that seems to be sort of where they're going with it now. We've definitely seen that with the, uh, you know, application through marriage and also the application through residency where they did institute that uh, language requirement recently. Uh, so things definitely, they definitely seem to be trending that way. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see that be applied to uh, the Yure Sanguinis uh, citizenship application process as well. And I believe there's already been at least one proposal to that effect that didn't actually go through. Make it. Yep. That was, um, that was in like September, I think. Um, they, uh, of last year of, of 2018, um, you know, at, at a certain point it makes sense. You know, if, if you've spent any time in Italy, uh, you understand that there is a, a sort of grassroots effort, uh, to keep Italy Italian and not to get into the politics of it, but they have a real, real strong sort of hold on their culture. Uh, that's one of the things we discussed when we were both in Italy was just, just how different it is from where we grew up and they're not wrong for it. It's just what they've come to know and expect. And I, I, I firmly believe that that's something they're going to look for from people in the future is, is how connected do you want to be to Italy? Because if, if you just want the passport and, you know, you're never going to travel there or live there or learn the language or pass it on to your children, 
uh, I, I really do question, you know, the, the future of this process for people. And I, it won't be that they, they won't make you Italian. I think they'll just make it so difficult for you that, you know, your question is, this something you really want to do, which is really kind of a shame because, you know, that this is part of, you know, if you're qualified, you know, who you are. That's, that's how I felt about it when I was there. That's how I felt when I was when I'm getting sort of stonewalled. Uh, you know, I felt like I was sort of, you know, being sort of pulled away from what I wanted to do and where I wanted to to sort of, you know, be a part of. You know, it, 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 it's, it, it's this weird thing we've discussed before. You know, in, in America, you're just sort of, you know, and this is for me, you know, you're just sort of one of the, the crowd, if you will. But in Italy, with an Italian name and growing up around Italian culture, like I felt like I was part of that uh, that sort of machine. Like I felt a little more connected. And uh, I'm vehemently American through and through. I'm very proud of my Italian roots. I'm, I'm going to be uh, extremely thankful, you know, from now till you know the end of my life of, of going through this process and becoming Italian and passing it on to my children. But uh, it's, this is, this is one of these processes and it's, it's, it's so fickle right now with the politics that, you know, it could go either way. They could, they could be more inclusive or they could be more restrictive. And unfortunately it seems like they're just going on the restrictive side now. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting set of sort of ethical questions and I can really see both sides where people like us would of course love the process to be as simple and quick and easy as possible. But you can also see the Italian perspective where if someone wants to become a citizen and, and receive the benefits of citizenship in Italy, you know, you could definitely see an argument for some kind of a minimum level of sort of investment in the culture that is Italy. And the authenticity of Italian culture is one of the charms of, you know, going there. And it's one of the reasons why it's one of the world's top, travel destinations is that they have maintained a very, very authentic culture um, and, you know, language and everything else. And there's an argument to be made that, uh, you know, diluting that could potentially not just damage, you know, sort of tourism and things in the country, but, you know, the culture itself, that's how, that's how it is. And so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very difficult to really argue one way or the other, because you can see both sides of the argument. You can see both perspectives um and while we would love it to be one way you know there's definitely an argument you made that there should be some level of investment or at least some uh you know i don't know i don't know what the proof would even look like but some kind of a proof of intention as far as uh what you're why you need the citizenship or what you're going to do with it yeah and it's 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 this is one of those things where, you know, really, and I feel this whole process has been this way, and this is something we talked about. Um, how important is this to you? That that's kind of the test they have on people now. Uh, you know how 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 driven are you? How dedicated are you to becoming Italian? Um, that's something that that sort of felt like that that was the barrier in front of me. Well, in Italy. And, you know, at the consulate level, I had a different experience. And they, they were so professional and so kind. And, and uh, they, they processed my application uh, relatively quickly and uh, went through my paperwork and were, were an opposite of what I experienced in Italy. And that's, again, it wasn't that Italy was at fault. It's I didn't understand what I needed to do. And I tried to essentially wing it. Um, 
and that just didn't work. But the consulate experience was so much different for me. Uh, I think a lot of it too is because they're they're here in America and if they're they're probably a little more used to the way we do things as opposed to you know any, at least back there or anywhere else for that matter. But uh, yeah, at, at some point there's going to be some sort of witness test on on how connected are you to the culture. And you're right that that's 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 the charm of Italy that they're not you know like anywhere else you know uh, food wise language wise you know. Just, just, just all of that packaged in. There's, there's so many things of Italy that are unique to just Italy, and they want to keep it that way, and they're right for doing so. Um, you know, so that that's definitely something to be aware of if you're going through this process. Is that, you know, if you intend to be part of Italy, you should expect to, you know, at least pick up some of the language, if not, you know, uh, you know, become fluent or you know, do some sort of uh, course on it, because I imagine at some point they will begin to ask you if you if you speak the language, because I believe with the, the marriage and the naturalization one, you have to speak at what's a B1 level or what's called a B1 level. Um, I don't know what that grades out as, if that's a high school level, college level, uh, whatever. But that's something that if they put that in place for those, it's only a matter of time until that that sort of swings over to the right of birth. You know, maybe they just make the application in all Italian and you have to be able to sort of read it and then recite uh, what you want to do to them in Italian. Who knows? But there'll be something like that in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. I know when you get your driver's license in Italy, there is no application available in anything but Italian. The test is in Italian. Uh, you have to be able to verbally talk to the instructor in Italian. So it's kind of a, you know, sort of it's not even actually a requirement to get your driver's license, but it is because you can't pass the test without knowing Italian, essentially. And I could see that becoming uh, a thing for the Ure Sanguinis process, and may, it might become explicit or it might be implicit. I think you're dead on when you say, like, they're probably not going to ban this process or stop it completely, at least in the near future. But they can turn a lot of knobs that make it more difficult Right, so there's a lot of sort of adjustments they can make to the process, to the timelines, uh, to make it a longer, more difficult process, which acts as sort of a de facto litmus test for how committed are you to the process, how badly do you want this citizenship, and it may be that you know as it is currently, if you go to Italy uh, to apply through the this process, you get a essentially a visa to stay there during the process until your citizenship is granted, at which point, obviously, you don't need a visa to stay anymore. Um, that will probably always be the case, but the timeline on the process could be moved further and further out to the point where, you know, you're living in Italy for years before you're granted citizenship or something along those lines, which is theoretically possible already, although it seems like the timelines move a lot faster than that generally. Uh, so, you know, I, I see that probably happening more and more in the future where the process just gets a little more difficult here, a little more difficult there. Maybe, you know, certain things get harder to apply in English or parts of the process become Italian only, things like that. Uh, so that people are discouraged from applying unless they have a genuine cultural interest in Italy, want to spend some time learning the language, maybe want to live there for a while, things like that. And that, you know, that's something we've discussed too, right, is both of us have a deep interest in in returning to Italy to not only travel, but, you know, again, reconnect with what are our roots. 
um, you know, and, and sort of see uh, all the parts of the country that sort of are less touristy, you know, not, not, a, not a Florence, not a Venice, not a Rome, uh, you know, to find some of the sort of more places off, off the, you know, the, 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 the sort of tourist path, if you will. Um, with, uh, with the citizenship process, I don't think they can actually outlaw it. Um, I'd be, I'd be surprised if they could. It's all written around that law from 1991 uh, that says if you were uh, a descendant of an Italian, you are now Italian, you know, going back however many generations as you need. Uh, because prior to that, they had that law that said you had to pick one citizenship. And that was this new law in 91 or the new WIST law uh, sort of, you know, overrode or over sort of cancel that one out is the best way to say that. Um I, th- I don't know that they'll be able to go back and change that, but they will definitely make it more difficult. You're right. They, they will turn some knobs. They, they will pull some levers and and change the sort of uh, attachment, you know, required, the sort of, you know, discipline you have, the determination you have to make this work for you. Um, one of the things, too, which we actually discussed when we were both in country was, uh, you know, how sustainable this is going to be. We, we had mentioned in the last episode that there were so many applicants that had filed. Um, I do wonder at some point if they just pause all applications for some period of time or, uh, you know, again, make the barrier to entry so high that you just can't do it. You know, if, if you move to Italy to file and it takes four years uh, just to get a response, you know, you, you can't work while you're there. That, that permiso di giorno. Uh, that you're going to file for, which is uh, you're attesting citizenship. Uh, so you, you're basically you're you're applying, uh, or you've you've attempted to, to reclaim citizenship. You know you can't work on that visa, so you're not going to be able to stay in Italy and work and earn a living. So unless you have deep pockets or some sort of you know business in in another country or what, however you you know can generate income outside of the Italian economy. Uh, if you if you can't do that, it's very likely you won't be able to outlast this process, uh, because with that woman, the Brazilian, um, you know, I said the the law at that point said six months. It took her eight months just to just for them to recognize her, and then another probably thirty days to give her the paperwork. So it, it's it's even then they really didn't follow that law. So it's it's you know we discussed last episode. And it's it's very true. It's Italy is a, is has got so many guidelines attached to these laws, you know, with the, when we were doing the Comune and we were trying to show them the, the law that came out that shows that if you're there to do this process, you, you don't need a permissive di giorno. You just need to prove you're going to do this. They refuse to honor that on both of our cases. You know, it's, it's definitely gotten much more difficult in Italy to file. Um, and it's, I, I feel like that's going to continually get more difficult until they just decide at some point, Hey, you know, only these districts can do this, or there's a quota system or something, and they're going to force people to do it at the council level. And from there, they can sort of, you know, delay you forever if they so choose. Yeah, I think a quota system is a distinct possibility. Uh, we've already seen them kind of turn some knobs or pull some levers or what have you in the case of like the Brazilian consulate, which is, I believe it's backed up for about 11 or 12 years right now. So, you know, they could choose to throw more resources at that consulate to handle the sheer number of applications coming in. But so far they have not done that. And I suspect that's another delaying tactic to kind of 
slow down the flood of applications that's coming in. Uh, obviously, it also costs money to process these things. They'd have to allocate more staff to it or set up another unit for processing them. And uh, you know, that would probably require some kind of a, a bill to allocate revenue to. So that could be a slow process as well. But in some ways, it acts as, like we mentioned earlier, a selecting mechanism where they're almost testing for your motivation. And in some ways, perhaps even your sort of socioeconomic means. So, you know, if you're Brazilian and you want to apply in Brazil, um, that's probably the cheapest route for you because you don't have to fly anywhere or ostensibly you got to fly to the Italian embassy if you live elsewhere in Brazil. But it's, it's a cheaper route than flying to Italy and doing it um, and not being able to work while you're in Italy and, and all those things. You've got to ostensibly have some capital or, you know, be fairly well off to pursue the process in Italy if you're Brazilian. And so they've kind of de facto capped the amount of people of lesser socioeconomic means who can actually apply uh, within Brazil by, you know, letting these applications back up for that long. So I suspect that's also a gating mechanism to try to uh, make it easier for people who have the means to fly to Italy and do it a little bit more well-off, less likely maybe to use social resources and things like that. Um, if not explicitly, at least implicitly, it acts as a mechanism for doing that. But something else to keep in mind is, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fixers out there who will like offer to expedite, you know, processing or application or, you know, get you documents maybe that are missing and things like that. Uh, but Italy actually just recently, I believe in the last month or two, revoked over 5,000 uh, applications that had been previously granted, uh, mostly, I think, in Brazil, uh, because they essentially discovered a ring of document forgers who were forging fake like birth certificates and things like that um, and bringing people into the process. And I know people who have used sort of facilitators in Italy to uh, expedite the process who are now worried because their facilitator was arrested for for fraud essentially either bribing local government officials or falsifying documents or things like that and now they're in a position where they're worried that their citizenship could be revoked as well so uh you know definitely don't don't falsify anything don't use fixers to expedite things um it's just not worth it and you don't want that uncertainty once you've been granted your citizenship, if you've gone through the process legally and you've done everything correctly, then that can never be taken away. If you use a fixer or something or you, you know, falsify something or whatever, uh, you know, then you, you never have that security. You never really know. Yeah. Um, this is something we discussed, too, uh, was was watching people go through the process at, at an extremely fast rate well in Italy and then sort of wondering how they were doing it and then figuring out that you know, they were, they were cheating. Um, and that, that's really the best way to say it. They were, they were cheating. Uh, they, they, they've used either fraudulent documents or they know of a place in Italy that sort of just, you know, rubber stamps, everything, whatever that was, you know, they found a way to game the system. And Italy is, is very proactive about that. It seems, you know, they, they, they have in several instances of, of my reading, and I wasn't aware of the most recent one, but it doesn't surprise me, you know, it, it, Italy has gone back in the past and, and arrested people um, who are, you know, 
cheating the system. Uh, when I started this process, when I when I hired someone to translate my documents, uh, who's become a, a very good friend of mine, um, you know, I actually think she might even be related to me. She's got family with that share my last name. But um, one of the first things she had mentioned to me was that many people going through this process who, you know, falsify documents or, you know, sort of play around with uh, their application in, in sort of an unethical way uh, get caught and that they will turn around and take your citizenship from you because you did it, uh, you know, sort of fraudulently. So definitely something to, uh, you know, not do something to be sort of prudent about. Uh, if, if it sounds like there's a shortcut and it sounds too good to be true, it is. Uh, th there is no expedited process for this in Italy short of, you know, just getting a, a local office that you're connected to, whether through family or whatever that is, that likes you and can properly vet your documents, deciding to just make this, you know, go quicker for you. Uh, and even then I'd be a little bit skeptical. It's, it's, it comes back to, you know, sort of the theme of this is, which is that the theme of this episode, which is, you know, there's going to be some pushback somewhere. Uh, if you don't get any pushback, you're either extremely prepared or, you know, there, there's something weird going on. So, um, you know, don't use fixers. That would, that would be sort of my uh, straight advice on that. I know you just mentioned that, but uh, I met a couple while I was there, um, you know, didn't do anything with them, didn't didn't ask for advice or anything like that, but it was clear as day that, uh, you know, these people who are coming from some South American countries uh, are getting citizenship in a very short period of time, uh, you know, and in groups, it, it was very clear that they were doing something that, you know, probably wasn't, uh, you know, above the table. So just stay away from stuff like that. You know, don't, don't cheat the system. Don't, don't cheat the process. You know, there, there's so many ways to do this. If you have actual roots to Italy, there's so many ways you can challenge it and so many ways you can, you can, uh, you know, sort of attest for citizenship uh, that th there's really no reason to do that because, yeah, it might get you a shortcut today. But in five or 10 years, if somebody audits your, your paperwork and they figure out something's wrong, you know, you're in trouble. And maybe it's not legal trouble, but they might just take your citizenship away and you got to start all over. And you got to go through whatever the current process is. So just don't do it. Yeah. And sort of the rule for this is just keep in mind that there are no legal shortcuts, right? There is a process. You have to follow that process. Nobody has the legal authority to circumvent that process or shorten it or you know, anything like that. So anybody that comes to you offering to shorten the process or you know, skip parts of the process, such as like if you're applying in Italy, if they're offering that you could skip the residency portion of the process where you, you know, get a, an apartment lease and then the, the police will actually come out to your apartment and, and visit you and verify that you actually live there. Um, that's part of establishing residency in Italy. There are people that will circumvent that process. They have hands with local officials or things like that. None of that is legal um, and it's not worth the, the risk. You know, do it right takes a little bit longer maybe, but it's worth it in the end because, you know, once you do have that citizenship, you know that it was done legally and properly and it'll never be taken away from you. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, they've definitely sort of, they, they most definitely, you know, curate who they want going through the process. 
that that might not you know be PC to say, uh, but they they have already sort of put some barriers to entry in place. As you mentioned, the Brazilian consulate is going to take forever. Um, I believe the London consulate is backed up now with the Brexit thing. Uh, some of the consulates in the U.S. I know is at least a two-year wait to get in. Um, I know New York is like that. I know Chicago is like that. Uh, there, there's there's a there's a constant sort of you know pushback on the amount of people you know going through the process. It it you know if, if they can take your application as it is now, it's 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 not as if you couldn't upload that online and then allow them to review it in a timely manner. You know they they, they definitely are are keeping people sort of at arm's length and letting people in as they so choose. Um, with, with with all this, and not to be doom and gloom about all of it, you know, the, the positives of it, of course, are once you go through this process, assuming you're eligible and you you, you sort of meet all the criteria and you want to do this, of course, because uh, it's not a cheap endeavor. You know, we, we both lived in Italy. I lived there for a year. You were there for six or eight months, right? Yeah, about eight months. Um, you know, and we both had apartments. I was in Prati for a while uh, and then San Giovanni. Um, you were in, what was the district you were in? Uh, I was in central Napoli. Um, I actually forget the district name that I was in. It was right next to the central station. Uh, you were in, uh, those districts you mentioned were in Rome, correct? Correct. Yeah, they're in Rome. Uh, Prati is, is a north of the Vatican. Uh, so is San Giovanni for that matter. But Prati is sort of a more well-off neighborhood. Uh, I didn't know that when I moved there. Um, you know, I, I actually had an Airbnb in a neighborhood called Pigneto, which is um, more of a young neighborhood, a lot of clubs, uh, you know, sort of a younger person neighborhood. And they moved me to this studio that was owned by a doctor in Prati. And uh, I ended up staying there for five months. But, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't a cheap process, is I guess what I'm saying. It, you know, it, it's not like this wasn't sort of, you know, uh, cash intensive, you know, just not the exchange from dollars to euros, but you know, it, it, it's not something that everybody's going to be able to do. So definitely really fortunate to have done that. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel, but I'd imagine the same, um, with, with going through that process though, it would have been infinitely cheaper to have done it in the United States because it only costs, you know, whatever the exchange rate is, uh, 300 euro, uh, to file your paperwork and that's it. But again, the wait times are so long. So it's it's definitely something that, you know, I felt was worth my investment. I think you do, too. Uh, I remember when I found out I was eligible that, you know, it, I, I was so excited. I, I, I got the, you know, I was going to be able to get a second passport. That was such a such a cool thing to me because I, I've always had this uh, desire to travel. And I really have always wanted to experience different parts of the world and different cultures. And through this process, I was able to connect with something I've always been so sort of close to, you know, and it, it, it gave me the ability to go out there and, and experience that. So, you know, like I said, not, not to doom and gloom the whole process. Uh, it, I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, Italy is, is actively trying to stop you from reconnecting with your roots, but I don't think there's anything wrong with them wanting to see how, how, how much it matters to you, you know, do you want to be Italian? Because this is not, this is not like, you know, literally you're getting a second passport and you can travel Europe and things like that. Like you're actually becoming a citizen of another country. You know, 
they don't tax if you don't live there, uh, which is, I don't know that we should discuss in the podcast. That's something you should ask uh, an accountant or a, a tax attorney. But uh, you don't have any obligations if you don't live there, as long as you're on the AIRE, as far as I can tell. But you are a citizen of another country. And, you know, you don't have to join the military. There's no conscription, anything like that, at least currently. Um, but you have uh, ties there. And you will forever so as long as you maintain that citizenship. Yeah. And I, I think that this can be looked at uh, from either a negative or a positive perspective, right? Where even if the process does get a bit more difficult or a bit more time consuming, uh, and even though both of us went to Italy in the hopes of completing this process and, and neither of us actually ended up completing it in Italy, we ended up coming back, completing it at consulates elsewhere. Uh, I wouldn't trade my time in Italy for, for anything. Um, you know, I, I spent a couple months up in Bologna initially, and then I uh, moved down to Naples. I just remembered the district I was in was in Mercato, which is sort of right next to the central station, but on the ocean side of it, close to the ports of, of Napoli. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that that time there, uh, you know, not only allowed me to like reconnect and learn more about Italian culture, learn a bit of the language, all those things, um, you know, I definitely don't see it, even though I didn't get to complete the process as I had hoped, I don't see it as a negative thing. Uh, there were definitely benefits to that. And I would encourage anybody who can afford to do so, definitely go to Italy, spend some time there. If you want to try to do the process there, you know, give it a try, probably be a little more prepared than either of us were, uh, and a little more realistic about the timeline. But definitely go there. Don't let, uh, you know, the fact that the process is becoming a little bit more time consuming stop you. Um, if you're really interested in Italian culture and, and interested in uh, citizenship for the right reasons, then, uh, you know, this is a small price to pay. Um, you know, yes, it's not as easy as it might have been in the past, but it's still considering that, as you said, you're becoming a citizen of another country with all the rights and responsibilities that that entails uh you know a year or or a couple of years of waiting time or some paperwork or learning a language um is a very small price to pay for the potential benefits that you get from that citizenship yeah absolutely um and some of those are are you know just the fact that uh as it currently stands you can uh live work or travel anywhere in the european union and you don't need a work visa. You don't need a visa of any type. You are a member of that that sort of uh, union. Uh, you you don't have to sort of seek permission. There's there's no asking. You know, from right now even Britain, which is uh, obviously could change with Brexit, but from Britain all the way to uh, Romania, once they're fully in, I believe, and I think they're even allowing you now. But you know, you you can you can go to those places. You can open a business. You can work there you could live there it, it, it's there's there's nothing holding you back because you you've got those sort of you know powers based on uh your connection to italy and um you know i think that's lost on us a lot as americans uh, you know we, we sort of live on an island i know we're connected obviously we're, we're not just an island we have we have canada the north mexico to the south but we're such a big country that you know it feels like you're in a different place if you're going from like chicago to miami you know but the in, in Europe, it does seem like everything's so different, just depending on the city you're in, and, and even more so when you're jumping around countries. So, 
you know, if, if I were to sum this up all in, in one experience, I really enjoyed my time in Italy. I'm very thankful for it. I will continually go back uh, to Italy. And even though I didn't get through the process and I tried to wing it, that's on me. Uh, I wouldn't trade that for anything because it was a year of personal development, but it was also a year of, of reconnecting with something I had, you know, sort of dreamed about since 2016 when I figured out I was an Italian citizen or at least eligible to go through this process to become a citizen. Yeah, I feel the same. And, and you mentioned, you know, uh, how as Americans, sometimes we don't really appreciate uh, some of the maybe privileges that we have uh, to travel. And, and a lot of Americans maybe don't take advantage of that. Um, you know, we have fairly low rates of uh, passport ownership, of, of travel outside of the U.S., and things like that. For a lot of other people, getting an Italian passport opens up a not only the ability to live and work in the EU, but also the ability to travel to a lot of other places. Depending on what passport you have currently, it could open up you know ease of travel without a visa to much of the world. I believe as of 2019, the Italian passport is the third most powerful passport in the world as measured by the ability to enter other countries without a visa. So that's a pretty big thing. I mean, number three in the world is is pretty damn good. Um, and that's something that's maybe lost on Americans because we do already have that ability to travel to most of the same countries visa-free. Um, but that's, you know, that's just another benefit that you do get and another reason to think about doing this process if you haven't already and you do plan to travel or you enjoy traveling a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just for context in there, uh, third most powerful passport, I believe the U.S. is like seventh. Um, I believe there's only a couple of countries in there that are any different between the American and the Italian. But And we just saw this change with Brazil, right? Uh, but, for example, last year, if you were an Italian, you could enter Brazil, I believe, visa-free. You didn't have to do that e-visa. And I don't know if there was a fee or not. But as an American, you had a fee and you had to do that online visa. There would have been a whole lot of you know, extra steps for you. And that's, you know, that would have been sort of an advantage of that. There are certainly other countries, too, but, you know, that would have just been sort of a quick one. Um, for me, and I, I think we should probably discuss this so, you know, people can sort of make their own opinions or sort of, you know, fill in their own ideas on this. But for me, the Italian passport, not only can I sort of be in Italy uh, for an indefinite period of time, but I can also travel around some of the other places in Europe, uh, visa-free, uh, no time limits, no constraints, uh, that I've always wanted to see. Places like Spain, places like Hungary, places like Germany, uh, France, uh, England. I mean, even some of the more, you know, off the beaten path, again, going into like a Romania, see some of the castles, the hills. You know, th these are places I've always wanted to visit. And when I sort of take ownership of my Italian citizenship, uh, I can go to these places and I don't have to ask for, you know, permission as if I was just an American tourist. I'm, I'm a member of this, this European union and I can go see whatever I want and I can make a home there if I want that, that, that was one of the real big drawing uh, pieces for me for the Italian citizenship uh, along with, um, you know, sort of, again, jumping back into my roots, you know, I'm the first uh, person of my family to have returned to Italy since we left that, that, that wasn't lost on me. That was something that was very important to me and, and still is and something I sort of always tell people going forward. 
Yeah, it was the same for me. I think I was the first, as far as I know, the first member of sort of my great-grandfather's descendants uh, on the Italian side to revisit Italy, um, which is really surprising when you think about it. I know, uh, you know, my grandfather and father had traveled a bit outside of the U.S., but they never actually went back to Italy. So being able to sort of reconnect there uh, was was quite meaningful. Um, and I was able to also connect with my aunt a bit more because she has spent a lot of time researching sort of the family tree and the family history on both sides, the Italian side of the family. And then we have some, uh, you know, British and Norwegian and other European uh, cultures back there as well. But, you know, my aunt actually started to learn some of the language and uh, connected with some distant relatives that are still in Italy and things like that, even though she's not planning on moving there anytime soon. Um, you know, she, she may go through the process someday, but right now she's not really interested in the citizenship side of things, but just the ability to sort of reconnect with uh, distant relatives and with the sort of culture that we came from uh, was quite meaningful to her as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. Uh, it's, it's, everyone's got sort of a different experience. I've got uh, some family members who could go through the process. They have the majority of the documents or have them all, but it's just not something that they sort of wanted to do. It's they, they wanted the ability to sort of have it available, but you know, they just decided at a certain point that it's not something they wanted to do. And, and maybe some of you will be like that too. You'll go through the process and you'll you get all the paperwork together, which is something we'll cover in a, in a later episode. Um, you'll get all your documents together and, you know, you'll decide at a certain point that this isn't something that you actually want to do now for whatever reason, but you can always revisit it as long as you have everything done um, until they, you know, unless they change the process, then of course, you know, that, that could be different. But, um, you know, we, I, we, we both said it and I don't think this will ever change. I don't think they'll disallow you from becoming Italian. I think they'll just decide uh, or at least have some sort of, you know, barrier to entry and you're going to have to work through it. And that's something we both faced, you know, with our own process. It's not like we're, we're, we're speaking of a boogeyman here. It's, you know, I, I was in Italy for 12 months. And even though I might have, you know, sort of misstepped in a couple places, none of them were fatal errors. I, I just literally got stuck between three offices that didn't want to work together and, you know, held me in the middle. And perhaps that's on me because I didn't have the greatest understanding of the language when I first landed. Um, but it, 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 it was just, it was just sort of a minefield that I had to navigate and, you know, it was always sort of one step forward, two steps back. Um, and I, I, I imagine going forward again, they'll change it a little bit. It will be a little more difficult, but at the end of the day, I got through it and I know your, your situation's pretty similar, right? But it, this is something that's always going to be there. You're always going to have some sort of obstacle, some sort of barrier to entry, and it's going to be on you to decide if it's worth it. Yeah. And there's always multiple tacks you can take to approach this. If you get stuck you know, in one area, you can always move to another area, um, you know, try to start over in a different city or something. If you're really like truly stuck, there are appeals processes you can take to, you know, appeal things or potentially try to get the process moving again. Um, so you know, it's definitely something that you shouldn't give up on if you do encounter some difficulties. I think that's probably the, the message I would like listeners to take away from this is 
that you should expect some difficulties along the way. Yeah, That's so just the nature of the process currently. You will run into some difficulties. I went into it pretty naively expecting that it would be easier than it was. Me as well. And so I think that uh, the takeaway from this should be that, you know, the process is, I wouldn't call it easy, but it's definitely doable. And it's probably not going to get easier in the future. So if this is something that you think you'll be interested in someday, perhaps, you know, you're a younger person, you're currently happy working in your, in your own country, but you think that maybe someday you'd like to reconnect with your Italian roots or retire there or something like that, then it's probably worth considering going through the process now and getting that done. Because once you have that Italian passport, nobody can take that from you. Assuming that you, you know, complied with the process and did everything correctly and legally, that can never be taken away from you. Um, so if there's any chance that you think you want to utilize that later in life or something like that, you might consider if you have the resources and the time to do it, do it now. Uh, it's probably not worth waiting because the process is not going to get any easier. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, like telling yourself you're going to go to the gym tomorrow. Uh, you know, you, 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 the longer you wait, the, the more unlikely it is you're going to go through the process. Um, you know, Italy was a, a tremendous experience and I only became more, uh, attached to this. I had a time where I was very upset about how it all went down, but once I sort of worked through that wall, you know, worked through that sort of that, that burnt out period, uh, I realized just how important this was to me that I would invest so much of myself that I could be that distraught where I just didn't want to do it. You know, and it was, it wasn't even that I didn't want to be Italian. It's not that I didn't want to become Italian. It's that I was concerned that if I went through it again and they declined me, what's next? You know, I, I didn't have a, a third option. So, um, you know, I can't, can't say it enough. And you said you want people listening to understand that. And that, that really should be something you're, you're getting from this is that if you're able to do this process, you know, jump all in, get it done because it is going to get more difficult and, you know, who knows what tomorrow brings, but, the harder you're willing to work on this, the more committed you are to it, you know, it's, it's going to pay back, you know, whatever you're looking for times 10. That was my experience. I'm sure it's been yours. And, and uh, you know, anyone listening, I imagine it'll be yours as well. Yeah. I went through a similar sort of period probably where uh, after I was denied residence in Napoli, um, I was, I was discouraged and I had to really sort of, do some self-examination and think about why I really wanted to do this. Was it worth continuing to pursue it? And obviously the answer was ultimately was yes for me. I, I became much more clear in why I wanted to uh, obtain Italian citizenship and, uh, you know, the fact that I was willing to try again to, uh, you know, push through these obstacles and make it happen. Um, and I think that's, that's probably uh, a good place to wrap this up. Um, you know, just, uh, expect some difficulties, do it now if you can. Um, the process is not getting any easier and, uh, you know, just, just try to try to push through things if you can and, and get it done. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.